Today we're reading uh, Romans 16, um, and it's on page 1142 of the Church Bibles. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Centuria. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. They risk their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my friend Epenetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Amplitus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my dear friend Sakis. Greet Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristopolis. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, who, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Protrovus, Hermas, and the other brothers and sisters with them. Greet Philo- <laughs> Julia, Nerus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the Lord's people who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them, for such people are not serving our Lord Jesus, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you. But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Timothy, my co-worker, sends his greetings to you. As do Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater, my fellow Jews. I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, sends you his greetings. Erastus, who is the city's director of public works, and our brother, Quartus, sends you their greetings. Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Christ Jesus. In keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Very well done, Laura. Aren't you glad you didn't get that phone call from Hugh earlier in the week? Fancy reading on Sunday, do you? There you go. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, each of those names that were read to us are people who lived and loved the Lord Jesus Christ, were commended by Paul, partners with him, in taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. They may just be unpronounceable names to us, but they are people who are now around your throne of grace. Thank you for them. 
Thank you for the work that you did in their lives. Thank you, Lord, that they have something to teach us today. And we ask and pray that you'd give us ears to hear and understand that just as the gospel changed their lives, so it may change ours too. Amen. Well, I don't know how your Christmas card list looks. Um, Judging by our passage this morning, Paul's Christmas card list was probably quite a long one, don't you think? Uh, Here's just 33 names. Uh, 25 of them relating to the church in Rome, 8 to the church where he's based in Corinth, 33 different names, quite a few cards to write and stamps to buy. And so maybe not to miss an opportunity, he decided at the end of this magnus opus, this epistle to the Romans, that he'd send his greetings by name to 17 of those in the church in Rome. I guess if this were an Oscars acceptance speech, uh, the band would have started playing the music at about verse 5 to get Paul off the stage. After all, come on, who really wants to listen to a random bunch of names from a church 2,000 years ago? Unless, of course, you're expecting a baby and you're trying to keep your options open and take a look at the list. Sossipata, I don't think we've got one of those at... uh, City Church at the moment, you could consider that, couldn't you? But what's the point for us this morning as God's people in looking at a chapter like this? Why not just skip it? Why not move on and and get cracking with some Christmas uh, sermons? Isn't it better just to to pass over this kind of passage? Well, I want to suggest uh, this morning that there's actually quite a lot more going on in these verses than you might at first think. And are certainly a lot more by way of encouragement and example to us as a church than we might realize. These verses, first of all, give us a, a heart, in, uh, sorry, give us a look into the heart of an apostle. Uh, we're going to learn something about leadership through that, what makes someone a good leader. And they also give us an insight into the marks of a healthy church. What was going on in Rome and and why does Paul see so much good in this church? What is it that he looks for? What is a mark of health and how might that help us think about ourselves as a church? So let's start with Paul, shall we? Paul and the heart of a healthy leader. I guess uh, we tend to think of uh, superheroes in the faith and Paul would be one of them. And we sort of think he's the kind of superhero who's the Lone Ranger. So Paul's kind of like your your Batman figure. He prefers to work alone. He's in the shadows. Not so. Not so, according to Romans chapter 16. Uh, This is kind of uh, Avengers Assemble, isn't it? Leaders are co-workers, according to Paul. Read through this chapter and you soon realize how utterly dependent Paul the Apostle was on this list of names, these real people in the churches in Rome, verses 1 to 16, and then in Corinth towards the end of our verses before us. Uh, Taking the gospel to the world is a team effort. And Paul, an apostle, is a team player. So just like that Oscars acceptance speech, Paul has a lot of people he wants to say thank you to. 33 mentioned by name. Paul is a co-worker. He's more than that. He's actually a networker, isn't he? He's linking together Christians and churches all around the Mediterranean. It's all interconnected as the gospel goes to the world. The church in Corinth, the church in Rome, as we saw last week, the church in Jerusalem are connected. 
working for each other, towards each other. And all of this in a world without social media. No Facebook. It's quite something, isn't it? Just to even know where these 33 people are, to know how they're getting on in the faith, required quite an undertaking on the part of anyone in the ancient world. Yet they're on Paul's mind, and they're in Paul's heart, and he prays for them, and he wants to know how they're doing, and he wants to encourage them in their faith. That's why Romans 16 is is no waste of time, because we're getting the sense of the heart of an apostle. Paul not only was well-connected, he didn't only depend on other people for co-work in the gospel, but Paul clearly has a love for people too. Didn't you detect this quite personal tone in these verses? It isn't just that the apostle knows a lot of people and works with a lot of people. The passage shows us that he cared for a lot of people too. We get a bit of a sense of that, don't we? Just look down with me, verse 5. Greet my friend, my dear friend, sorry, Epinatus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. That's verse 5. Verse 8. Greet Ampelatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Verse 9, greet my dear friend Stachus. Verse 13, greet my dear friend Persis. Paul had the brain the size of a planet. He may have written an exceptional book on theology called Romans, but he's no cold-hearted, distant academic, is he? He has a pastor's heart for people. Pastors are called to love the people they serve. And you wouldn't have any doubt that Paul loved the people that he served. In fact, his ministry depended on that. I did the cipher camps. Any of you do those kind of ventures, scripture union camps or cipher camps or contagious and things like that? I think one of the things that I really loved year in, year out was that the people I worked with became my friends. So I did Colwyn Bay cipher venture, I don't know, for about 10 years, 8 to 10 years, and switched it in Taunton for a while. And they were co-workers to begin with, and they've become lifelong friends. The people that you labor with in the Lord tend to be the people that you then to start to bond with in your heart. And Paul calls them dear friends, my dear friends, over and over again in these letters. Paul gave his heart to those whom he served. The Puritan preacher Richard Baxter lived not far from here in Kidderminster, and he famously said, show them that you love them, And you can tell them anything. If you, as a pastor, show people that you love them, then they'll listen to you when you want to encourage them or challenge them or maybe even at times rebuke them. Show them that you love them and you can tell them anything. And Paul loved his people. And it's written in these verses that we might see into his heart. That was Paul. Someone has said he valued his friends, he loved the church, and he's happy for everyone to know. In a healthy church, leaders don't just serve from a distance, but they live life alongside you. Now, in a church like ours, it's not possible for everyone to know everybody else. It's not possible for every leader to know everything that's going on in the life of everyone in the church. And I don't think Paul knew everyone in the church at Rome for a moment. But it is important and possible for the leaders together to have a sense of what's going on in the life of everyone who's a member of the church. That's why you need a plurality of elders. So we have nine elders for a reason. Because our church membership is 240. 
and probably there's about 350 or so adults who would say this is their church. So to, to cover that in prayer, to be available to people, it requires a staff team and women's workers and elders and pastors and so on. So that we might share our lives with you as well as the gospel itself. Church is a family that you belong to. It's not an event that you attend. And Paul loves the church. And he knows his friends by name. And he gives thanks to God for them. So leaders are co-workers. They're also those who love the church that they serve. And I think you get a sense of, therefore, what a leader should look like from the Apostle Paul in these closing verses. So from his heart to the health of the church. What do we see about the church in Rome from this kind of scattergun, quick-fire comments that Paul's making? Well, let me just pull out a number of themes that I think we find, a number of strands that we find. But before we do that, let me just say it's a remarkable thing that Paul wants to thank individuals publicly. Because I think as Christians, we probably tend to think, oh, I'm not sure you should ever do that. Um, aren't we just to give glory to God? I mean, we, we hear the stories, don't we? Martin Luther apparently was asked about the spread of the, the Reformation, those momentous early days in the spread of the gospel. And Luther said, I did nothing, the word did everything. So shouldn't we just be saying that? Well, we, we don't really do any. It's God who's doing all the work. Luther said, I just sat and drank Wittenberg beer and the gospel spread across the world. But actually, if you look at his life, you know that's not true. You know that's not. Boy, did he work hard in the Lord. And I think what Luther is saying is what we all want to say, which is, no, it's a God thing. Anything good that happens in the life of the church is down to God. The credit shouldn't shouldn't go to me. It all goes to God. And that's true. That's absolutely true. So when we look back at 20 years in the life of City Church, as we did a couple of months ago, we want to say to God alone be the glory. He's done this, or 10 years of 2020 Birmingham, now nearly 20 churches planted across, but to God be the glory, it's him and him alone that's done it. God did everything, we've just tried to keep up. And there's a sense in which that's true. But maybe there is a time to take a leaf out of Paul's book, Romans chapter 16, and recognize there are times when it's appropriate to actually say to thank you to people for what they do in the life of the church. It's not very British, But Paul chooses to say a public thank you to these people, to recognize, to honor those who work for the Lord and work hard for the Lord. Now, in one talk this morning, I can't introduce you to everyone in our text, but as we take a quick look, let me suggest the four themes that I think we find here. Firstly, I I think you find Paul commending some people who he says work hard in the Lord. There are people working hard in the Lord. You see, gospel churches in my experience, are churches full of activity. It's not just pew fodder where people walk in, come and come to a service and walk out again. No, gospel churches are the places where we serve and are busy serving one another. And that was the case in Rome. Verse 6, greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Verse 12, greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Now, a number of commentators think these were probably sisters and twins, given the the closeness in their names. And their names actually mean dainty and delicate. That's a good name if you have twins, twin girls, dainty and delicate. But small in stature, these ladies packed a punch. They worked hard 
in the Lord. And verse 12, greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. So if you look down those verses, only four people were told work hard in the Lord. And guess what? They're all women. Twas ever thus. I arrived yesterday morning at our Tiverton Road building with Jane at around nine o'clock to drop off uh, materials for the wreath-making event, and there were quite a few volunteers. Some had been there over an hour, some had walked into the building before 8 a.m. on a Sunday, working hard to get everything just as it needed to be. And as a result, 25 or so guests were able to make a Christmas decorative wreath, have a great craft evening, meet some of the church, hear something about the good news of Jesus this Christmas, and receive an invite to a carol service. But that, that should happen required a number of people to work hard in the Lord. And one of those ladies went back this morning. She was back in that building this morning, cleaning again, just to get everything set down. Because we were making the church available, the building, sorry, available to another church who couldn't use their building as they ordinarily would on a Sunday because of a boiler failure. So someone went back in, the same woman who was in there before 8 o'clock yesterday morning, who left that building, I'm sure later than 10 o'clock last night, she was back in there this morning, getting it ready so another church could use the building. Working hard in the Lord. It's because she loves Jesus that she did that. She loves Jesus enough to get a building ready for another church to use the building this morning. Think of everything that goes on Sunday by Sunday. Some of you experience it. Some of you are on the rotors, teaching children, set up, set down, music, PA. The launch team that's been helping get Second City going for the past three years. Two weeks to go and we're going to need teams for our carol services, teams to stewards, teams for car parking, teams for refreshments, so that something like 300, we would probably estimate 300, 350 visitors can celebrate Christmas and hear about Jesus. So many people. We're just one church of many gospel churches where people are working hard at the end of a hard week of working in the office or at the end of years of raising children. And only the Lord really knows what you do. But can I, on behalf of the elders, say our public thank you to you? Because we know how hard many of you are working in the Lord. And there's a reason why we give ourselves to these things, isn't it? Because we know that these, this labor is not in vain. Do you remember those words, 1 Corinthians 15, 58? Having defended the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come, Paul says, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Listen carefully. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Because you know your labor is not in vain. That's why a Christian gets out of bed early on a Sunday to stand in the car park and shoot. They're not doing it for the jacket. They're doing it because they know their labor's not in vain. That's why. And any of you working hard in the Lord are doing for so for that reason, I'm sure. And as we serve the church, so our love spills out to the city. And we start to say, how can we serve the city we love? And we're having this collection for Birmingham City Mission today. Do you know, the last non-Christian emperor of Rome was called Julian the Apostate. Because he came after the time that uh, Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Empire. 
And he came along afterwards and tried to turn turn the clock back entirely. And he persecuted the church. Man, he was vicious. He was nasty to Christians. But even he had to acknowledge this. Describing Christians, he calls them atheists because they didn't have statues in temples. So he calls Christians atheists. Where's your gods? I can't see your gods. Do you have a god? So he called Christians atheists. And this is what he had to say. Atheism, referring to the Christian faith, has been specially advanced through the loving service rendered to strangers. And through their care for the burial of the dead. Christians would go out and find unburied bodies and bury them. I mean, that's not just picking up litter, is it? Let's find dead bodies and give them a decent burial. It is a scandal, Julian said, that there is not a single Jew referring to, as a Jewish, Christianity is a Jewish sect referring to Christianity, there is not a single Jew who is a beggar, And that the godless Galileans care not only for their own poor, but for ours as well. While those who belong to us look in vain for the help that we should render them. I mean, what Julian's saying is, it's always the Christians, isn't it? Why is it that the Christians do these things? No one else is doing these things. It's because they know their labor's not in vain. We love and serve the Lord. All these toys being collected and these books being collected today for Birmingham City Mission Toy Link so that 3,000 households across Birmingham will receive bundles of Christmas presents for children who otherwise wouldn't have anything and Christian literature thrown in with those gifts. And then there's a whole team of volunteers headed up by some people in this room, a whole team of volunteers who are going to give hours and hours and hours to wrap all of those presents because they love the Lord and their labor's not in vain. And if even Julian the Apostate can say, why is it that the Christians seem to work hard for the city? May that be so in our day. May people look and see the love for the Lord that we have as we serve the city and say, there's something about these Christians that I need to get my head around. A healthy church is a hardworking church. You know that because so many of you are working so hard for the church. But alongside those who are working hard, Paul had something in particular to say for those who sacrificed as well as served for the sake of the church. So there were also marks of a healthy church, not only those who were serving, but some who in particular were having to sacrifice. Verse 3, Greek Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, they risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Now, we know a little bit about this couple from elsewhere. They're mentioned three times in the book of Acts. Paul mentions them in two other letters, as well as Rome. So these were just exemplary Christian leaders who risked their lives for Paul and for the church. We don't know that much about them. We know they had to leave Rome because the Roman emperor back in that day started to persecute the Jews because of this Christian sect, and they had to leave their home in Rome. Clearly, they're back now in Rome. They've been able to get back. But Paul is thankful to them, not just because they're co-workers, but in some way they risked their necks. They put their very lives on the line for the sake of the gospel. We don't quite know how, but they did. Verse 7, Andronius and Junior have been in prison with me. Verse 10, greet Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. This brother seems to have gone through a trial of some kind and come out the other end. To have stood the test means to have tried, been tried and tested and to have passed. Was he persecuted for his faith? Was he? We don't know. 
But there seemed to be a number of people who'd really gone through it as Christians. Not only served, but sacrificed. And Paul seems to be saying they're worthy of double honor. Around the world today, there are countless numbers of Christians in prison. Just because they love Jesus. And they are worthy of double honor. They're risking their lives for Jesus. Only in heaven will their names be read out. One day they will be honored in the way these names are honored before us today. People willing to endure because they love Jesus and his church. And some here have sacrificed, maybe never been imprisoned. But you know what it was to give up a career and a steady income to work for a church or a Christian charity. You've lost friends when they saw your faith and it meant that you weren't going to do the kind of things that they were going to do. Or your financial giving to the church means you've not replaced a car or had the holidays that some other people have had. Or those awkward moments back at home with family because you insist on heading out to church on a Sunday when none of them think that any good can come of that. The risks you've taken for Jesus, the pain you've experienced because you follow Jesus. Can I say, if you have sacrificed as well as served, if you have suffered as a result of your faith, none of it is forgotten. Jesus sees it all. And on that great and final day, Jesus will say, well done to you. Just as Paul is honoring these people here, good and faithful servants. Paul's thank you is just a foretaste of Jesus' thank you that you will receive one day. I was in Athens this past week. I had breakfast with a missionary couple who left the UK to work with students in Athens. Um, He actually was the CU president at the University of Birmingham about 25 or so years ago. And as we talked, there was a moment in the conversation where uh, they just got a little bit emotional, to be honest, a little bit tearful. And they were tearful because they were reflecting on how little fruit they'd seen as a result of their 13 years of work in Greece. It's just tough there. It's just a hard place to go with the gospel. And they just hadn't seen anything like the kind of fruit that they would have seen if they'd said, why don't we just do the same kind of work in a big university city in the UK? And they could see what they'd sacrificed to not be about that ministry in the UK, but to do it in Greece. And it was hard. It was just hard. And they had a little cry. But they left that day encouraged to know that we stood with them. And that the Lord Jesus, above all else, had sent them. And they knew that and were sure of that. I don't think I'd really appreciated what they'd given up before. I don't think it quite crossed my mind how much they'd sacrificed. I was humbled by it, thinking how easy it is for us here. But it's not in vain, is it, for them? It really is not in vain. So the marks of a healthy church, a church that serves, a church that sacrifices. Thirdly, Paul sends greetings to to Christians who are helpful, just helpful kind of people. Do you notice verses 1 and 2, Paul wants to thank this sister Phoebe. I think she's taking his letter. She's probably a businesswoman taking his letter to the church in Rome. You wouldn't want to entrust me with a letter. But Paul trusted her with these 16 chapters, the most important letter that's ever been written in the history of the world, into Phoebe's hands. She's going to take it to the church in Rome. And uh, Paul says she's a deacon of the church. And he also says she's been a great help to me, 
and to many people, verse 2. Phoebe's been a great help. Verse 13, greet not only Rufus, but his mother, who has been a mother to me too. Clearly this woman had somewhere treated Paul as if he were her very son. Verse 23, Gaius is commended for the hospitality he provided for the whole church in Corinth. There are people who are just helpful. There are people who just welcome you into their home, who connect you up with other Christians, who find you things that you need if you're new to the UK and you don't know how things work. Nothing for some people seems to be too much trouble. You know those people? They're just always available, always willing, ready to give. People who are just helpful and look for ways to help. There are many international students who can say, of two women in particular in this church, she was like a mother to me. A church that stays healthy, works hard, sacrifices, and loves. Loves to help. The Apostle Paul can say himself in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel, but our lives as well. How do churches stay healthy? Well, we look to Jesus and we say, how did he serve us? And how much was he willing to sacrifice for us, going to the cross for our sins? And how far was he willing to descend from heaven to earth to help us in our lostness, to come and find us and to bring us back to God? If Jesus can serve me and if Jesus would suffer for me and if Jesus would help me, I can return that love to those around me. It's what it's going to take to run our Christmas events. It's pretty much what we do every Sunday. It marks out the people of God. And in a world that's so lonely and so isolated, if we can be that Christian community together, living in this way, I think a whole load of people maybe can find faith in Christ through us. Here's how one journalist reflected on modern life in America. He said, America is one vast, terrifying anti-community. One vast, terrifying anti-community. The great organizations to which most people give their working day and the apartments and suburbs to which they return at night are equally places of loneliness and alienation. Protocol, competition, hostility and fear have replaced the warmth of a circle of affection which might sustain man against a hostile universe. Not so. The church has welcomed people in and loved them and point them to Christ. Well, when you came this morning, you probably didn't come hoping or expecting a list of names, did you? And many of the names are just a little bit obscure, but there's one final mark of health that's a little harder to spot just from the names, but commentators are helpful on this, and that's that people in this list reflect every part of society. So it's a diverse church. And we looked at this a little bit when we looked at our series on diversity, these verses, so I'm not going to say a great deal now. But if you read through, there are hints and clues and suggestions that there's a mix of races here. There's, there are Jews like Aquila and Priscilla and Gentile members who are mentioned. So there's Jew and Gentiles, the nations are together. There's also suggestions of a diversity of class as well. Some of the names suggest they were of royal or high rank 
Aristobulus and Narcissus in verses 10 and 11, to name but two. Most, though, come from a humble background. And then, of course, there are the, there's the gender balance. So many women mentioned in Paul's list. A range of races, a range of classes, a range, well, there's only two officially, genders. And along with Phoebe, who's taking this letter from Corinth, uh, we see that wealth of richness in the church. So Romans 16 looks a little bit like the credits at the end of the film. Did you want to walk out just as as the reading started? Oh, this is the boring bit, the film's over. No, stay for the credits, please. Good things are happening here. Remarkable things are happening here. God is building a church by transforming individuals and then bringing them together into a community where they serve, where they sacrifice, where they help one another from different nationalities and genders and and, uh, cultural backgrounds. And if God can do that through this list in Romans 16, he can do it in this church at City in the 21st century. As we finish, let me just say two very brief things. At the end, having gone through that list, Paul gives a very quick word of warning and a very quick word of encouragement. I'm going to say this quite quickly. The word of warning. Did you notice that? I urge you, brothers and sisters, verse 17, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way. It's kind of a bit of a downer, isn't it? Having gone through that incredible list of people in the church. Jars a bit with everything that's just been said. Why would Paul give the warning here, having gone through the list in that way? The best answer I could find in one of the uh, commentaries that I read was something like this. That a warm church might be in danger of becoming a soft church. So clearly the relationships here are amazing in this church. A warm church, a welcoming church, a serving sack, all of that stuff. A warm church could nevertheless just want to welcome in anyone and everyone and potentially some of those people might damage the church because they didn't really know and love Jesus and they wanted to say things that weren't true about Jesus and a church can be warm but it can't afford to be soft do you see I think that that's helpful to me we want to in one sense say everyone's welcome and yet at the same time we want to say anything that we say to one another needs to match up with what God says in his word and what Jesus would have us to say. So if people come in and start spinning a prosperity message, God wants you rich, and this, we, we want to say, no, I don't think that's true. Or if someone comes in and says, look, I don't think Jesus meant it when he talked about hell. I think everyone's going to be in heaven. No, we want to kick back there and say, that's, no, there's not a place for that here. We want to be warm, but we can't be soft. Because these people will come in, verse 18, who are not serving our Lord, and their, but their own appetites, but they'll have smooth talk and flattery, and they'll deceive naive people who just think, well, the loving thing to do is say, everyone in, everyone come on board. And Paul says, that's not good. It can't be good for the health of the church. Verse 19, I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about that which is evil. Jesus said, be shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. It's the same kind of thing. Watch out, protect the church, even as you love people. And that's a hard balance. And churches can get it wrong in either direction. It's a hard thing to be warm and welcoming whilst also being committed to the truth. That's hard. 
but we've got to try and do it. A word of warning. Finally, a word of encouragement. Verse 25. Having said, watch out. Verse 25. Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel. The message I proclaim about Jesus Christ. Verse 27. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. In one sense, we're right to say it's all of God. Yes, people are working hard, but it's God who establishes the church through the gospel. As we remember God's mercy and as we're renewed in our thinking, we ask God by his spirit, keep us, protect us, urge us forward in the love of Jesus Christ and for your praise and renown. Let's pray together. So the only wise God, be glory forever through Jesus Christ, amen. Father, thank you for the book of Romans. Thank you that Phoebe made it safely from Corinth to Rome. Thank you that this letter survives by your sovereign will and is included in our scriptures for us today. Thank you that the credits at the end were worth staying for. Thank you, Lord, for these people around your throne now who worked so hard and sacrificed so much and loved and cared in every way. And we ask, Lord, would you build that church here at City so that we might be built up and so that the world might say only the Christians do that and find a place amongst us. Amen.